Well, folks, I have a great opportunity now to check in with our U.S. Congressman representing Washington's 6th District. It's Derek Kilmer. He's online at kilmer.house.gov. Derek, how are you doing? I'm great. Good to be back with you, Jeff. Nice to talk with you. I have uh, flipped on the TV this morning and uh, all the uh, talking head channels have got the little countdown clock in the corner that says we are close to a government shutdown. And this looks like it could be a tough one here uh, as uh, Speaker Johnson and Senator Schumer were just talking with President Biden and they're trying to work up a way to get all this stuff figured out with a, what, Friday night deadline? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I'll say a couple things about this. One, a government shutdown is both stupid and damaging, right? We know that in our neck of the woods when Forest Service employees get uh, furloughed uh, because of a shutdown, when Park Service workers don't get to go to work because we're in the midst of a shutdown, when the park gets closed, uh, when Puget Sound Naval Shipyard um, is sending people home. That's not just damaging to those federal workers, it's damaging to our local economy. I remember talking to a hotel owner up in Squim who said when the park shut down during the last shutdown, it took him months to dig out from all the cancellations that he had because a lot of people come stay in his hotel because they wanna go visit the national park. And so it's really damaging, but it's also really dumb. This is entirely avoidable. Oftentimes when there's these stalemates with regard to potential shutdowns, it's because of a disagreement about the size of the spending pie. That's not the circumstance here. There's agreement on it. Unfortunately, this is an example of some very, very far right members of the House Republican Conference wanting to turn these spending bills into bills for fighting culture wars, not for just funding the government. The reality is if we, you know, if we keep out all the culture war stuff, you've got spending bills that will get a super majority vote of both the House and the Senate. Democrats and Republicans will agree on this. But if these become these sort of stocking horses for a bunch for a, a, a big, you know, cultural agenda focused on trying to infringe on reproductive freedom, going after the LGBT community, all of these things that are on their hit list, then I think we're headed for shutdown. This is avoidable. This is something that the Speaker of the House just has to be willing to tell the very extreme members of his conference no. Talk to me a little bit about what the what the feel like is within the body. Is this going to happen or will things come together? Will Speaker Johnson be able to pull votes from both sides of the aisle to keep this going? I think a lot of it depends on whether he's willing to tell the very extreme elements of his conference that he's not willing to turn these bills into big culture war bills. If he leaves that out, these are bills that are going to get 300, 350 votes. You know, that's that's how spending bills get passed in the end. It's with strong bipartisan support. We but have an election. As we, and we see it this year. Sometimes we see a lot of tumult uh, in the run up to getting that agreement because people, you know, the, the, the nature of divided government is there's going to be some compromise. And that means there's going to be things in the bill that I don't want. And there's going to be things that I wish were in the bill that aren't there. And yet I'm, you know, I, I'm accustomed to accepting, you know, what we can get in divided government. And the challenge is that you've got some extreme members of the House Republican Conference who've said, in essence, it's our way or the highway. Unless we get everything we want, we're a no. And 
the Speaker of the House can say, okay, vote no. Like that, you have that prerogative. It can pass without the Freedom Caucus's votes, but that means the Speaker has to be willing to let them down. And so far, and this is somewhat a reflection of some of the shenanigans we saw with regard to the Speaker's gavel earlier this year, you know, you got to be willing to do the job and not just focus on trying to keep the job. And you've seen people like Paul Ryan speak out and say that the speaker needs to stop sort of kowtowing to the extreme elements of his conference. It's up to Mike Johnson whether he does that. There's funding in these different scenarios for Ukraine. There's funding in these different scenarios for Israel. There's obviously the continuing of the government. Do you think if it weren't an election year coming up that these wouldn't be as big of a hurdles to get through or is that part of it too this the just keeping the government <clears throat> funded keeping the lights on you know you, we have to do that every year and so you can't just say in half the years we're going to struggle to do that because there's an election it's a little bit trickier with regard to the national security what's called the national security supplemental which provides funding for ukraine and israel humanitarian assistance for folks in gaza that that shouldn't be impacted by an election year, but I think it is, right? You've got folks on the extremes who've said that they're not gonna vote for it. And my reaction is, okay, vote no. But I think where the American people are justifiably frustrated with Congress is when Congress can't even move forward on things on which there is agreement. There's agreement on the national security supplemental. It passed the Senate with strong bipartisan support. If it's put on the House floor, I mean, I'm, 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 I would bet in Vegas that it would get more than 300 votes. And, but it, it requires the Speaker of the House putting it on the floor for a vote. This 118th Congress that you're in has, uh, you know, been bandied about as one of the least productive ones in Congress. And do you see this as just more of the same moving forward? Perhaps maybe some of the reasons why you're stepping back uh, in addition to, you know, being more time with your family? Well, so I will say that, um, and I don't say this in a partisan way. You and I have talked enough over the years. You know, I'm not a partisan bomb thrower, but I, I do think that the House Republicans have really been stymied in their ability to legislate. Oftentimes, the arguments are between Democrats and Republicans. That's not the case this year. The arguments are between Republicans and Republicans. It's, you know, sort of middle of the road Republicans who actually want to legislate versus the Freedom Caucus, who is more interested in making really strong partisan statements and playing politics. You know, we saw that when there was a bipartisan agreement on some reforms to the immigration system to try to address the southern border. And you saw Republicans walk away from their own deal because they wanted to have a political issue for Donald Trump during the presidential election rather than have a solution to a problem. I mean, you had people admitting that. And that, I think, is really problematic. This is why the American people get frustrated with politics when people are playing political games. And, you know, my my take is as long as I'm in this job, I'm just going to do the hard work of working to try to find common ground when we can. The nature of divided government is that you're going to end up having to, to make some compromises. And I'm prepared to do that, understanding that there may be examples where I wish I could get something more. Um, but we're just going to keep fighting for the folks I represent.
after redistricting, the sixth is a, a wide swath of the state, and you represent folks uh, in military. We've talked about that. We have uh, rural communities, large tech sectors. We're right up close to the state capital as well in Thurston County. When you're out and about in the district and uh, you're talking with people that are passionate on both sides, including those who feel like this is a good uh, hill to stand on when it comes to getting their ideas and thoughts uh, across the table, what do you talk to them about when it comes to you know making sure that we're trying to move forward? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, a lot of the approach I've taken in this job has been just trying to make sure that we listen more. Uh, part of the reason over the years I've done so many town hall meetings is not just to tell folks what I've been working on, but to listen to them. And I think one of the things that we all have to do, and I include myself uh, in this, we have to figure out how to listen better and have more discussion rather than debate, right? The 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 founders of our country didn't presume that we were going to agree on everything. In fact, they set up a system that was designed to enable that disagreement. But they did presume that we could live together, right? That, you know, part of living in a diverse, pluralistic democracy is that you're, you're going to live next to people who think and look and pray differently than you do. And it can't come to violence and conflict. And I think that's something that we need to get better at. And it's something that I certainly have worked on in Congress. I co-chair the bipartisan working group, which is trying to to model that behavior, right? We sit down with a dozen Democrats and a dozen Republicans for breakfast every week, just trying to figure out where we might be able to find some common ground. You know, I, I authored this bill called the Building Civic Bridges Act to try to support some of that, some of that hard work that's happening in our communities for, you know, that for organizations that are trying to promote disagreeing better and trying to address some of the toxic polarization that we see that, you know, is often really pulling people apart. And, you know, the good news and one of the things that, you know, sort of uh, uh, feeds my soul is just seeing some of the amazing things that are happening in our neck of the woods, the, you know, the um, interfaith group in Tacoma that is working to build understanding across different religions, the YMCA in Gig Harbor that is hosting bridging efforts to try to get people to talk about their differences and listen to each other and build understanding rather than having fistfights break out at the YMCA. And, you know, we're seeing those sorts of efforts all over the district. And, and you know, what I would tell you is uh, I'm a hopeful person. I, I really do think that our best days are ahead of us. And a lot of that, you know, we have agency, each of us, each of your listeners, you know, has a role to play. President Kennedy said that in a democracy, we all hold office as citizens. And so, you know, I think one of the things, and I certainly keep this in mind, both in this role and in whatever my next chapter will be, how do we fulfill those roles? And with the knowledge that to some degree, we get the democracy that we deserve. And so we're going to keep I'm going to keep pushing to try to make sure that we have a democracy that helps us get things done for the American people, that uh, makes a, a better future for all of our kids, and um, where we respect one another. As uh, the constituents here in the 6th have an opportunity to get in touch with you and make their voice heard, uh, that's a good direct one-to-one -one on that one. Is there opportunity, too, for, for those to talk to their um, represent talk to representatives who may be outside their district or did those conversations those calls maybe not get as much attention 
I would say they don't get as much attention. You know, the um, there's tremendous currency when someone reaches out to their member of Congress, right? When they reach out and say, hey, I'm concerned about this issue or that issue, or, you know, how are you going to vote on this bill? No one contacts our office that doesn't get a response if they ask for one, if they're a constituent, you know, but if someone from Alabama reaches out to our office, we're really not, you know, we have enough work just making sure we're responsive to the 750,000 people in Washington 6th Congressional District without having to worry about 49 other states. Right. Well, you can get online and get in contact with Representative Kilmer. Again, the website kilmer.house.gov, who has been representing Washington 6th for many years now. And just as we were talking about, he has, according to the website, responded to over 82,000 letters, phone calls, and emails, been out there in the community, over 250 events, and uh, over 1,400 people have been helped by your office with an additional $8.7 million saved or returned through casework. So you are getting the I think job that was done. last year. Is I that, think that was just last year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, let's get that updated, man. We're yeah. working, you're working hard for your yeah. constituents there at the again the kilmer.house.gov. I know you have another uh appointment to get to, but it was great to catch up with you. And again, Thanks. we encourage uh folks to get in touch with uh Congressman Kilmer here and let him know what your thoughts are on these upcoming votes. The the government could be shut down uh, unless there's a breakthrough made here in just the next couple of days. Thanks for your time, Derek. Good to see you. You too. Thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye-bye.